Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Welcome to Haunted Road, a production of iHeartRadio and Grim and Mild from Aaron Mankey. Listener discretion is advised. Usually I start the podcast with a scary story. I guess this could be perceived by some as scary, but I couldn't talk about this location without telling the story. That, in retrospect, taught me a lot about standing up for myself. So years ago, I was investigating this location in Atlanta, Georgia with Ghost Hunters, the TV show many of you were introduced to me on. Though I'd been active in the paranormal for quite some time, I was still fairly new to the ghost hunting on reality TV game, so I tried to keep my head low and do what I was asked to do without much fuss. This was reality TV in its heyday, so crossovers happened, sometimes crossovers that made little to no sense. And on this night, we were doing a crossover with the real housewives of Atlanta. Bigwig producers were milling around as one by one, Nene, Kim, and Sheree all rolled up in identical Range Rovers. Again, I expected to not be any part of this, save for the big group introduction shot. The idea was they would say hello, and then Jay and Grant, the two lead investigators on the show, would take them inside to investigate. Then the ladies would be on their way, and we would carry on with our normal investigation. Except, that's not what happened. The ladies rolled up, we discussed what was happening, and as they were walking inside with Jay and Grant, Nene loudly said, where are the girls? The producers all looked around like, what is happening here? Again, Nene said, no offense, I don't want to investigate with the guys, I want to go in with the girls. So just like that, me and the only other girl on the show, Chris, were hurriedly being wired up with microphones and rushed in with the housewives, while the dudes stayed outside. Truthfully, it was really fun. The ladies were so kind, they were respectful, and they were truly inquisitive about what we do. And believe it or not, there was zero drama. That was also the day that I learned that in the world of TV, it was okay to speak up for myself. If I wasn't comfortable with what was being presented, I had every right to say so. So I thank Nene Leakes for that moment, even though I guarantee she has no idea who I am. So that being said, that was my first brush with this historic and beautiful location in Atlanta, Rhodes Hall. I'm Amy Bruni, and this is Haunted Road. Peachtree Street in Midtown Atlanta is famous for the breathtaking historic homes that once lined it. You wouldn't know it to look up and down the road today with its gray skyscrapers and multiple lanes of traffic, but a century ago, the neighborhood was dotted with these incredible mansions. Sadly, many were later torn down. 
In the early 1900s, one house in particular stood out, one that still sits on Peachtree Street today, tucked away between commercial buildings. According to the Rhodes Hall website's history and tours, this manor once was one of the most opulent of the large mansions overlooking Atlanta's thoroughfares. It was celebrated in the press and enviously praised by members of the city's wealthy elite. The same website argues the Greystone House was intentionally constructed to be as visibly striking as possible. It sits on a curve in the road atop a slight incline so it can loom over passersby. With its six-story tower, heavy stone columns, and battlement-like railings around the porticos, Rhodes Hall looks like a medieval fortress. In fact, it's been nicknamed the Castle of Peachtree. Designed in the Victorian Romanesque revival style, it used to be surrounded by over a hundred acres of undeveloped land. Now it looks like a citadel out of time, a century-old manor surrounded by shopping centers and offices. It was constructed between 1902 and 1904 for Amos Giles Rhodes, someone who, to all appearances, was uniquely dedicated to maintaining appearances. He earned a reputation as a self-made man after selling wooden picture frames door to door. Because many of his clients couldn't afford to buy them up front, Amos allowed his customers to pay in installment plans. According to the American Home Furnishings Hall of Fame, he basically invented the concept. Over time, he expanded his business portfolio into such diverse fields as wooden furniture, construction companies, and real estate, and he became a millionaire in the process. Amos and his wife Amanda spent $50,000 on their new home, the equivalent of about $1.6 million today adjusted for inflation. The Rhodes Hall website suggests they may have been inspired by the German structures they saw during their European honeymoon. It was designed by an architect named Willis Franklin Denny, who'd tragically die of pneumonia just a year after the mansion was completed. He was only 31. The ostentatious, eye-catching manor was a massive success, so much so the Roses privately referred to it as Le Rêve, that translates to The Dream, per the Rhodes Hall History and Tours webpage. In addition to their opulent home, the Rhodes family gave lavishly to charity. Amos made donations to everything from churches to residences for the elderly and the chronically ill. Perhaps this largesse is what inspired a local newspaper from his time to say, Mr. Rhodes was of an extremely modest and retiring nature, hating all pretense or show, and always avoiding publicity. But it's hard to take this statement at face value. If Rhodes Hall is anything to go by, as stunning as its exterior is, the impressive flourishes are fewer and further between in parts of the house the public doesn't see. Like Amos was especially cognizant of appearances when he designed it. On the Rhodes Memorial Hall page on the History Atlanta website, Connor Lee writes that Rhodes cut every corner he could to save money without sacrificing the look. You can see his cost-cutting decisions while on tour of the mansion. But don't take that to mean the interior of Rhodes Hall is anything less than impressive. It was fully wired with electricity when it was built, cutting-edge technology at the time. The mansion boasts 300 light bulbs as well as gas lighting fixtures as a backup in case of an electrical outage. It features a grand mahogany staircase and oak parquet flooring, a term for wood tiles arranged in geometric patterns. On the contrary, when Lee described Amos's cost-cutting tendencies, he gave the example of the sturdy stone columns that ring the house. The front columns, which are visible from the street, feature elaborate engravings, but the back ones, which only the roads and their house guests would see, 
were much simpler. Likewise, the upper stories, where the private bedrooms were, looked a lot plainer than the elaborate ground floor. Amos was devoted to the Confederacy, an odd affection given that he was a young child for the duration of the Civil War. That said, his adulthood hometown of Atlanta has been dubbed the heart of the old Confederacy, according to the City of Atlanta's history webpage. His beliefs were all too clearly depicted in the painted glass murals he had commissioned and hung over his mansion stairwell. They depict Confederate generals and infamous KKK Grand Wizard Nathan Bedford Forrest, There are scenes of enslaved people working in a cotton field, Jefferson Davis's inauguration as the President of the Confederate States of America, and key Civil War clashes. In one case, according to the Atlanta Journal, Amos ordered a rendition of the Battle of Bull Run, but when he received a concept sketch, he rejected it. He wanted the art to show the Union soldiers looking more frightened and cowardly. Ultimately, the finished artwork showed Northern soldiers turning tail and running from the battlefield. Ideological leanings aside, Amos and Amanda were doting parents. They had a son and a daughter, the latter of whom was married at Rhodes Hall in 1905. In turn, her daughter would have a wedding in the Grand Mansion, too. Amos and Amanda lived to be 77 and 79 years old, respectively, and they died over back-to-back summers. Both passed away in the manor, and their funerals were held in the house, too. After his death, Amos's children gifted Rhodes Hall to the state of Georgia, specifying that from that point forward, it should be used for so-called historic purposes, according to the Rhodes Hall website. It spent about five decades as Georgia's state archives building before it was renovated and restored beginning in 1983. Today, it's a popular wedding venue, and while it's not currently offering tours to the public, it has in the past, in addition to spending time as a haunted house attraction. Even after all these changes, many claim that Amos Rhodes' spirit still dwells in his old home. And if reports are to be believed, he doesn't appreciate modern-day visitors peeling back the facade to see what lies in the hidden heart of his private residence. Plenty of people have reported sightings of Amos and his wife Amanda, including tour guides, their customers, and employees at the Georgia Trust for Historic Preservation, which uses the house's upper floors as a headquarters. The Atlanta, Georgia website notes that during these encounters, people often perceive an angry, aggressive presence. On one occasion, a bouquet of dead flowers was discovered on a woman's desk in the third floor offices. No one knows who left it or why. The same webpage says another time, a tour guide was at Rhodes Hall alone, wrapping up her work late after her co-workers had gone home. She was startled to hear heavy footsteps approaching from a back stairwell, accompanied by the semi-rhythmic tapping of a cane. As the noise grew closer, the guide heard a male's voice muttering, Get out. Get out. Get out. The tour guide called her co-workers' names on the off chance that one of them was playing a cruel joke, but no one answered. Finally, the guide spotted who was making the noise when a figure appeared near a shadowy wall. Finally, the guide spotted who was making the noise when a figure appeared near a shadowy wall. It was an old man with wild, unkept hair. He was still repeating, get out, get out. Each repetition grew louder until finally he was screaming at the woman. She heeded his command and took off. She never came back to work, quitting over the phone the next day. Amos's wife has been involved in some equally terrifying encounters. Again, this story comes from the Atlantic Ghosts website. 
Two sisters were on a tour of Rhodes Hall together. One of the siblings found a painting of Amanda Rhodes fascinating. She stared at it for so long, the rest of the tour moved on without her, and soon she was alone in the room. She'd already been feeling nervous when she was with the group, and once she realized no one else was around, the woman wanted to hurry to catch up with the tour. But before she could hustle out, the lights began flickering and every piece of furniture started shaking. It was almost like an earthquake was rocking the house. But when the woman glanced at the mirror, she realized this was no natural disaster. Instead of seeing her own reflection, the woman saw the elderly Amanda Rhodes staring back at her. All she could do was scream and run out of the room. In addition to these sightings of Amos and Amanda, people have seen a blonde girl with curled hair and a white dress. She tends to appear on the staircase and in the second floor foyer, which is also a popular spot for a woman in a white gown. It's unclear who the woman and the girl are, although some have speculated the latter may be one of Amos's grandchildren. Another anonymous, shadowy figure has been spotted in the basement. The downstairs rooms also sometimes shake and televisions have been known to change channels on their own. Throughout the house, lights tend to flicker, doors open and close by themselves, and people hear voices or feel hands touching them when no one is nearby. The door to the attic can only lock from the inside, at least in theory. It's been known to lock itself even when no one is in the attic. Over the course of my research, I came across a theory that we've discussed before on the podcast about what's behind all these phenomena. Some suggest that the supernatural instances at the manor had nothing to do with Amos Rhodes. Instead, they were what we sometimes call manufactured hauntings. Because from 1984 to 1992, Rhodes Hall operated as a haunted house. Could the energy from those years as a haunted attraction be adding to the paranormal phenomena being reported there today? Perhaps, but it's hard to reconcile the accounts of ghostly encounters with this period. The Atlanta Constitution described the attractions-themed events, and they had names like the Space Crypt of Nosferatu and Deadly Gardens of Ishtar. They had over-the-top sci-fi themes and featured aliens, reptile monsters, and a five-foot-tall spider puppet. None of that imagery seems at all similar to the hauntings today. But who knows? Rhodes Hall has, from the beginning, had two personalities. The mansion is seen from the outside, and the true home that's hidden behind the facade. To understand the reality of the manor's ghostly inhabitants, we'll have to dig deeper. That brings me to my guest, paranormal enthusiast Shane Garner. Shane actually lived in Rhodes Hall for years. I'd venture to say there's no one more familiar with its hauntings. So, We'll be picking his brain right after the break. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. 
Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash iHeart. That's LifeLock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. All right, so I am joined by my guest, Mr. Shane Garner, who is very active in the paranormal community in the Georgia area. We have a lot of mutual friends and actually lived in Rhodes Hall for a time. So welcome to the program, Mr. Garner. Thanks, Amy. Happy October. Uh, Thank you. I was looking for someone to talk to about Rhodes, and uh, I actually reached out to Chip because I know Chip's from the area and that he's been there. And he immediately was like, you need to talk to Shane Garner. Oh, awesome, <laughs> so I was awesome. like, okay. <laughs> so, um, so just tell me, how did you end up living in Rhodes Hall? Oh, it's so crazy. Uh, and what a place to live. Um, in the late 80s, I attended the Haunted Castle at Rhodes Hall. It was like the premier haunted house attraction in Atlanta. Um, going through there, I was so impressed with um, the aesthetics, but I kept looking past the installations and was just really uh, fascinated by the architecture. I didn't even know that you know Atlanta had a castle because I lived outside of the perimeter, didn't get into town uh, too much. But um, I went through the castle um, as you know as a uh, as a guest, and uh, I after the after it was over, I asked. Um, one of the management people, how I could volunteer for the next year, because it was actually a fundraiser uh, to help restore the castle. And uh, I ended up returning the next day, not the next year, as an actor. And that began my four-year tenure as an actor and stage manager for the castle. That's um, amazing. So yeah. you are, so you work there even too. So I you did, were I like did. very involved yeah. in kind of... The, the castle itself, yeah. which I like. You had a friendship with it, right, I, you right. could say. And in 1998, I was looking for a place to live. First time I was going to live by myself without a roommate. And I remembered when I went into the castle, they told me that um, you know someone lived in an apartment um, in the basement. And I was really fascinated and kind of curious. And uh, I called the docent and I told her who I was and said I was interested in their apartment. And she told me, she said, well, Shane, it's rented, but let's talk. So I actually went by Godiva Chocolates and um, made a basket and had it on her desk. And I came in and she says, Shane, honey, I don't know what it is that you want, but it's yours. So within <laughs> two months, I actually, I moved in as a tenant. That's what, I mean, 
chocolate. That's the way to anyone's <laughs> right? heart, really. I think you were probably meant to be there. Um, how long did you end up living there total? I lived there for four and a half years. Um, I think 1997. And I moved out in 2001 because they were going to put um, an elevator through my living space. Yeah, that doesn't work. <laughs> right? <laughs> That's not going to work for you. Okay, so now when you first ventured into Rhodes Hall, like clearly you were kind of drawn to it, but did you think there was any paranormal aspect to it at that time? Did you think that it was haunted? I thought it was beautiful. Um, didn't really think of anything as far as hauntings. Uh, you always you always kind of wonder. I'm, I'm really skeptical. I'm not one of the ones who says, oh, you know, I hear, I hear a sound, it must be a ghost. It, you know, it, it really has to take something to happen to... To convince me, um, I moved when I moved in. Uh, it was in the summer, and next door to it, since I do a lot of um, prop work, I thought it was great because there was this huge empty parking lot. And after moving, uh, two weeks after moving in, I found out that empty parking lot was actually going to give way to a um, a new construction for Equifax. So they warned me, they said they're going to have to uh, be doing some blasting, and they told me that it had to wait until after 3 o'clock in the morning because of the MARTA trains. So I was prepared. I, you know, I'm there in the bed going, okay, it's going to happen, it's going to happen. Nothing happened. Then about 4 o'clock in the morning, it felt like the hand of God touched the castle. Um, the whole thing just just shook. And kind of wondering if um, they started doing blasting every morning at 4 a.m. And I'm wondering if that kind of woke up some things in the castle. Yeah, that's interesting to think because I know like one of the reports there is that things shake or things move. Yeah. So I wonder if that has something, not that the actual blasting caused that, but like if that's kind of a byproduct of that happening right next door. Right, right. And that would happen at other times. And that, you know, it's a completely solid granite uh, building, you know, built from Stone Mountain granite. And it takes a lot for that thing to move. Okay, so that happened. You kind of felt like it woke something up. Like, what was your first moment where you thought, okay, this place is potentially yeah, haunted? Yeah, first moment, I'm downstairs. Well, of course, that's where I was living. Um, but um, my TV started going up and down with the volume. I'm like, okay, there's something wrong with the remote. So I went and changed, changed the batteries and still kept going up and down with volume, uh, just like I was using the remote. And then the channels started changing by themselves. And I keep switching it back to a certain channel. You know, we didn't have, <laughs> we didn't have hundreds of channels back then. Um, but it kept switching back and forth. And um, I had a big wrought iron chandelier um, that hung in my living space. And it was probably a 14 or 16 light chandelier. Um, the lights um, one night started flickering. Um, I would say probably half of them. And of course, I made sure that, you know, the bulbs were in there tight. They were. Um, there was nothing wrong with the wiring because it had been up for a couple of months at this time. And uh, it continued to flicker whenever I would turn it on, um, probably for a couple of months, actually. And so you were like, okay, this is this is unusual. So between we have the TV, we have the chandelier. And now, um, did you ever have guests over anything who noticed anything unusual going on? I did. Um, a couple. One was a friend of mine from Florida had come up uh, during the wintertime. 
uh, I believe it was January. And um, of course, living in, you know, one of the most famous residents in the city, um, you know, I, I had access to the entire castle. So I would give my own little tours. Um, so we went upstairs to the main floor and we're looking around. It was cool. Um, the weather was cooperating, kind of set the mood and we were walking around and the, this is the first time I actually had felt anything, but, um, you know, the main floor you've been there is, you know, a pretty good sized floor. So we're walking around individually and then we actually noticed each other uh, walking into the main parlor and toward the large staircase, um, pretty grand staircase. It had a door at the uh, base of it. Mm -hmm. Um, where they would use, I guess, for storage. And it's probably like four to five feet tall. Um, it's kind of creepy, just, you know, the scale of the thing. But right. we both started walking toward it. And he said, there's a little girl in there. And I said, yeah. And she's wearing black patent. And he goes, leather shoes. And then he says, with white, and I said, stockings with frills at the top. So we started describing the, it was almost like a TV script. We started describing this little girl, um, from the, uh, from the base up to her head, uh, back and forth. So she was wearing a blue and white dress. And I would say it went three quarters of the length down to the knee. Um, it was blue, uh, like a baby blue with, um, white, um, lace, and then actually you started describing her hair and it was blonde hair and it's not a ponytail. What is it? Is it pigtails where you have the yeah. one? So yeah, she had yeah. pigs, she had pigtails and they were in little ringlets and uh, we kind of backed away a little bit and uh, proceeded to go upstairs. Okay. So to be clear, you guys actually saw this girl or you both like had this impression of this girl. It's, it's a, it's, it's weird. It's almost like a combination of, um, visualization mm -hmm. and it being in your head at the same time kind of like a, almost like a dream state right like you just knew she was there yeah i've been trying to figure out how to explain it um but it was like a multitude of senses that uh were picking it up it's interesting because people have reported seeing a little girl there before and who do you think that could be i have no idea i did research was trying to figure it out um i was also working um Probably about eight years later, I was working for another haunt attraction. I was their wardrobe director. And my seamstress says, I hear that you're living in the castle now. I said, yeah, I am. I said, it's pretty amazing. And she said, have you seen the ghost? And I said, um, are you talking about the old lady? Because that's what everybody has always asked me. Have I seen the old lady? And which I haven't. And uh, she said, no, the little girl. <laughs> Oh, hair standing up on my arm right now. And I said, you know about the little girl? And she said, yeah. She said, we used to take the streetcar uh, down Peachtree Street and we would get off at the Rhodes Hall stop. It was actually, um, it was abandoned at the time or vacant or something. And they would go to the front door and watch the little girl appear. And I asked her to describe the little girl to me. And it was exactly as uh, my friend and I actually had seen. That's so interesting.
Yeah, I mean, it, you're like you're not the only ones to see her, and it's hard because sometimes you know we're investigating these locations, and sometimes the ghosts don't necessarily match up with the history, you know. But that doesn't mean that they didn't ever exist. It just means maybe we don't know something, you know. And uh, especially with when it comes to the ghosts of children, kind of dating back, like they weren't always as carefully recorded, sadly, because, you know, child mortality rates were so high back then. Um, so I'm hoping one day they can figure out who she is. Hey, I've looked up the Rhodes line. I've looked up the Pardues. Um, can't figure out, um, you know, I've even gone to the cemetery, uh, which I was actually there yesterday, Westview Cemetery, trying to find something um, to go on, but still, still a mystery. Um, also had another guest, uh, my friend, our mutual friend, Chip Coffey. I think I've known him since I was 17 and he was working at the Shakespeare Tavern as an oh, actor yeah. in Atlanta. Yeah. He, he actually called me one day. He says, I'm thinking about quitting my job. He was working in travel too. And I'm thinking about doing readings online. I'm like, you're going to quit your job and you're going to do psychic readings. <laughs> I'm like, are you kidding? <laughs> so, uh, it seems to have worked out there. for him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So he, he came over, he came over one night and we were going on a tour and he, you know, tip, you know, tongue in cheek, there's a little girl in there. I'm like, yeah. And, uh, he started talking about her. Um, we went upstairs. The tower was amazing. Um, from the top of it, you can see like all, all the state of Georgia fireworks and things, but, uh, there is actually a room in the tower. Um, and I think it's like the art and the drawing room. He goes, there's a little girl and a little boy that used to be up here and they would draw looking out these windows. So, you know, tongue in cheek, you know, we, we both, you know, going through trying to figure out what all is going on. I go downstairs and he says, you know, the little girl comes downstairs and sits at the end of your bed at night while you sleep. And I'm like, okay, Chip, you can stop now. But he said, <laughs> yeah, she laughs. Um, she giggles at you. I'm like, why, why do you, what are you talking about? He says, well, sometimes you stop breathing in the middle of your sleep. And I'm like, yeah, okay, sure. Yeah. Okay, cool. Thanks, Chip. <laughs> 15 years later, I found out that I have severe sleep apnea and <laughs> I had no idea. Apparently she did. Wow. You know, that's one of the things about being friends with Chip Coffee. Like sometimes he tells you things you don't really want to know. You're like, you have to, you have to be like, nope. You know, <laughs> I remember back in when I was still in the dating scene, whenever I started dating a new guy, Chip would be like, do you want to know? And I'd be like, no, I don't want to know. <laughs> yeah, so. One day um, I was in the kitchen area, which is like the big space down where um, apparently, you know, the, the, this is the darker area. But I had I had lost I had left lost my keys and I had to be somewhere and I called him like Chip please I need to find my keys now and he says they're in a chair with fabrics by a table and they were on top of a chair under a piece a piece of fabric uh, that I was working on in in the main dining room. <laughs> you know, I never thought to use him for that. Maybe this is, I, you know, yeah, I, this might have started like turned over a new leaf for me. Cause there's so many times in my house where I can't find things. Now I know I just need to call chip before I try to make that trek up to like the third floor. <laughs> so to yeah, I'm, I'm, not sure. I'm sure you have a little better standing with, with him for things like that than I would. <laughs> um, okay. So 
So Chip clearly has detected things that he's been there before. Like I said, he's the one who referred me to you and he's got some great stories, but he's never really investigated it. He's done more just kind of like casual readings there and things. Um, so now you see this little girl, we've had electronics issues. Now, another thing I've heard reported a lot was the actual ghost of Mr. Rhodes, Amos. Did you ever have any encounters with him? Well, there was this one summer. Um, it was June of, well, it had to be 1998 because of the way the dates line up. Um, the power went out. Um, it was a huge storm. Of course, you know, back then I didn't have, you know, a cell phone, a smartphone. It was, you know, I just had a flip phone. So I had no idea, the idea that the storm was coming up, but um power went out so the alarms go off so i you know proceed up the stairs to check all the switches and you know check all the entrances and things make sure there's not another another problem um so i'm up there everything is secure the lights are still out i have my flashlight so i'm like okay you know what you don't go upstairs too much let's kind of take a look around and let's just you know let's explore um I ended up in one of the main office areas and on the wall uh, in a glass frame was an article about Rhodes Hall and Amos. So I'm reading it and uh, it talks, you know, talks about his life and talks about his wife, Amanda, and, you know, the Reeve, the dream, uh, you know, as far as the castle. And then I saw his death date and it said that he had passed in 1928 on June 16th. So I'm looking for a calendar up there. I found a calendar and it was June 16th, 1998, 70 years from the time of his death. I think that's a really, I think it's just a very cool coincidence, but who knows? I love that story. Cause I'm really big on synchronicity and signs. And, you know, I think sometimes spirits speak to us in that manner. Like, you know, they make us aware of things. Um, just mainly like, you know, just kind of like somehow you're drawn to something and then it correlates with something that happened there. And I mean, I know you were there for a long time and kind of that general consensus has been that Amos really didn't or doesn't like people coming into the house. Like it's not necessarily like he's pretty protective of it. Is that kind of the vibe that you got there? Um, I'm not sure if it was Amos. Uh, I never heard the get out, get out part. Um, mm -hmm. Unless it was probably, probably one of my friends is telling me get out. Um, mm -hmm. But I know when I was working there as an actor, I know the downstairs area, um, my area was split up um, in two sections. Uh, one section was my living space, which was amazing. Huge windows, three foot, mm -hmm. you know, rock walls. And then you had to cross a little hallway, which conveniently my bathroom and shower were on the other side of the hallway. And uh, so was this big space, which was used for my kitchen area. Back when um, I was actually working as an actor, um, <laughs> there would be this, this, this dark, you know, energy um kind of you know we feel like you know you weigh you know twice as much as you do and just kind of like you know it just kind of pull you down to the ground not literally but you know figuratively it just right. seemed like it was a very dark just a just a feeling and uh that that's the same um that's the same area that you know I would uh, things would get misplaced a, a lot you know where actually i had to call chip one time and ask mm -hmm. him about uh, something that i'd misplaced 
uh, and he was right on it. But that was like the darker area that I would feel. It wasn't that dark. I mean, I've been through some things in my life, uh, and there's some really cool areas down in the basement, including the um, the furnace room, which is something out of Freddy Krueger, and another, you know, some crawl spaces all throughout the house. Um, and, you know, you would think that, you know, by looking at it uh, physically, that would be the area that would be creepy. And no, it was the big room where I had my kitchen. That's interesting. Do you, um, so you're not sure that it's Amos. So who do you think it could possibly be? Or do you just think it's kind of like an energy attached with that part of the house? Yeah, I don't know if it's anyone specific. Um, it just was just kind of foreboding and dark. And I, you know, and I would go through and I've researched, you know, pretty much like grandchildren and relatives. And I, I can't figure out uh, who it might be. I know that Amanda passed there in the house mm-hmm. and I'm not sure Amos passed if it was in the house or not, but I think he passed like two or three years after she passed. Yeah. It was a year apart and they, um, they both passed in the house, actually. It was each died, like one died one summer and the other died the next summer. So, and then their parent, or their, sorry, I think it's either their children, their grandchildren gave the house to either Atlanta or the state. It's interesting to me that, I mean, maybe they just had so much money that they didn't need this big ornate mansion in the middle of Atlanta, but it's interesting to me that they just gave it away. It makes me wonder, like, you know, why would you just give it away? And you know, it was over a hundred acres. Um, yeah. it was pretty much, it was pretty much all of what was Buckhead. I just know that he, um, you know, loved history and historical facts and he wanted it to um, be something that was here for a long time for people to enjoy, I guess, maybe without him. <laughs> I know, apparently. Well, it's a beautiful place. Um, I've been lucky enough to go there a couple of times. Um, I did an event there once and then obviously we investigated it on ghost hunters many, many moons ago and, um, definitely has an interesting vibe to it. And I know they're not doing public tours at the moment, but hopefully they'll restart something that you can get in there, uh, if people are interested, but I think it's an important piece of history and how lucky were you to get to live in the middle of it for years? That's really awesome. So amazing. There was actually an article in the AGC, the Atlanta Journal Constitution down here, of some of the um, most unusual places to live in Atlanta. And I think I was number two. Uh, number one was the guy who was actually uh, the caretaker of the Fox Theater who lived in the Fox. Jeez. Well, fascinating. Well, I think you're very fortunate to get to live somewhere so cool. I'm sorry there were some uh, ghostly happenings that went along with it. But hey, some of us would truly enjoy that. So um, with the territory of living in a castle. Exactly. Well, thanks so much for taking the time. I know it's been we've been running all over the place trying to get this done. You've been really wonderful. Uh, and hopefully I know we met years and years ago, but hopefully we'll see each other again soon. Absolutely. And thank you for having me, Amy. And anytime you want to come down to Atlanta, I can give you private tours of Rhodes Hall and uh, both of the major cemeteries down here. Don't threaten me with a good time. So, <laughs> that's awesome. Thanks so much, Shane. I appreciate it. Thanks, Amy. Have a great Halloween. As a paranormal investigator, I've had to get used to the idea that appearances can be deceiving. If a door slams shut on its own, it could be because of a draft or because a spirit is trying to get my attention. If the temperature suddenly drops, it could be due to poor ventilation or a sign that I'm not alone, even if I don't see anyone nearby. 
And while it can seem that death is the end, I've witnessed plenty to suggest that's not the case either. All to say, there's a lot of value in digging deep to see what lies at the heart of a mystery, a home, or a historical figure, even in cases like that of Rhodes Hall, where the spirits seemingly prefer to hide behind their facades. We may never know how they truly think and feel, but at least it's clear there's more than what we see on the surface. I'm Amy Bruni, and this was Haunted Road. Are you tired of the same old vacation destinations and cookie-cutter experiences? Do you crave a sense of mystery, wonder, and adventure that can't be found in ordinary travel brochures? Do you listen to this podcast and think, I'd like to visit that spooky place? Well, that's why I started Strange Escapes, a paranormal-based travel company that takes you to some of the most haunted locations in the world. Frankly, it's my excuse to combine all of my favorite things, which is ghosts, beautiful hotels, food and wine, and other weirdos like me, to be honest. (laughs) If that sounds right up your alley and you want to learn more, then visit strangeescapes.travel and hopefully you can join us sometime. Also, to keep up on all of my upcoming projects and appearances, head to amybruni.com. I have some really great things in the works and I don't want you to miss it. Thanks, Haunted Roadies. Haunted Road is hosted and written by me, Amy Bruni, with additional research by Cassandra De Alba. This show is edited and produced by Rima Elkayali, with supervising producer Josh Thane and executive producers Aaron Menke, Alex Williams, and Matt Frederick. Haunted Road is a production of iHeartRadio and Grim and Mild from Aaron Menke. Learn more about this show over at grimandmild.com. And for more podcasts from iHeartRadio, Visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring.